Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, we're in a new passage out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you'd grab the Word of God, head over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with us this morning. Now, I want to let you know, I know that this is a different time because of this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, This thing has gone on a lot longer than anyone had expected, at least longer than I'd expect. And one of the things I ask as we move into a crisis is, is this going to be a blizzard? Is it going to be a winter or is it going to be an ice age? Is this something that's just going to, you know, be here for a day or two and it's gone? Is it a season that we're going through or is this something that's going to change us for the rest of our lives? And I think all of us understand right now that this is not a blizzard. It's beyond a blizzard. I do think in some aspects it is a winter. I do believe that we're going to pull out of this here pretty soon, that things will get back to whatever the new normal is fairly soon. So that's, that's what I'm hoping. But I also believe in some aspects this is an ice age. I believe that it's, it's changing us forever, the, the way that we live our lives. And, and I know the church will never be the same coming out of, of this pandemic. It has definitely changed certain aspects of how we do ministry. And the reason I bring all this up is because I want you to be stronger when we come out of this than when you went in. I believe that this is one of the best opportunities that we've ever had to share the gospel. I think more people are open to hearing the gospel now than ever before. And the reason I bring that up is because 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, my prayer and hope is that you're not just on standby. You're not just kind of waiting out and trying to survive this crisis. I pray that you're, you're thriving in the midst of it, that you're helping your neighbors, you're loving on the people around you, because I want people, when all this is over, I want them to come and ask you about Christ because they saw Christ in you in this moment. Now, one of the things I want to do is I want us to, as your pastor, I want to encourage you to create habits that are going to outlast this crisis. Uh, my prayer and hope is that you're studying the word of God more than ever, that, that you're diving in and, and learning, that you're worshiping more, that, that you're putting a priority on family. See, I really believe that when we can get through all of this, we're going to have a higher priority on community, on our church family. I think that it's going to change the way that we approach our communities, the, the way that we approach our church. See, our response to this crisis is creating habits. It's creating responses that are gonna go beyond this crisis. It's actually going to help us the next time we face a trial or a tough situation. I believe what we're doing right now is setting the tone for the rest of our lives. Now we're covering a story today that we're actually gonna be covering for the next several weeks. And the reason for it is because I believe that this has a lot to speak into our situation. This passage is gonna teach us how to respond to the crisis that we face in life. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it starts off this way. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. 
Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for Engedi. Now, Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah at this time. And uh, for, for uh, the rest of this message, would it be okay with you if I just referred to Jehoshaphat as Jay? Would that be all right? I figured I could cut about 10 minutes out of the message if I didn't have to say Jehoshaphat every time I got to his name. Uh, Jay is, is this king of the southern kingdom, Judah, and, and he actually took the throne at about 872 B.C., His father was the king before him. Asa was his father. And Asa started his reign off really well, but he turned out to be an evil man. Jehoshaphat takes the throne and Jehoshaphat is actually a godly man. We're actually told in chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles this about Jehoshaphat. It says, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. We find out that Jehoshaphat is a godly man. He has a passion for God and for his kingdom. And I love that because as his father went the other direction and started to do a lot of evil, he ended his career, his his reign, not with God, but against God. Jehoshaphat takes the throne and he chooses to pick the good parts of his father's character and not the evil ones, which to me tells me that you don't have to be a product of your upbringing. You don't have to be a product of your environment. You get to choose the direction of your life. And and this is important because if he was following his dad's example, he would have responded to this crisis completely differently. See, these messengers show up and they give him this bad news. They say, hey, all these armies are rallying against you and they're on their way to Jerusalem right now. Look at what it says in verse three. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. So we have this godly man. God is with him. He's an incredible king. And it says that he's terrified. Uh, Some of your translations say that he's afraid or that he's alarmed. Can I just tell you, when we face crisis, if Jehoshaphat, a godly man who has God with him, can be terrified, then it's okay for us to be afraid as well. Now, I know that what we're going through is nothing like what Jehoshaphat is facing. I mean, Jay's got an entire, um, he's got several nations coming against him, but uh, this crisis is just as real, right? I mean, we're experiencing loss of job, um, an uncertain future. Many of you are not sure how you're going to keep food on the table or how you're going to pay your rent. And so this is a crisis as well. And so it's okay to be afraid. It's okay. God understands that in, in, the, in the face of crisis, he understands if we're afraid or if we're terrified. So I would say the first thing that you have to do, though, is you have to acknowledge where you're at, what, what you're feeling, what, your mental, your emotional, your, your spiritual state. You have to acknowledge that. And then second thing you have to do is you have to choose your response. Do you realize that you have control over how you respond to a crisis? You always get to choose how you respond and how you respond makes all the difference in the world. Uh, maybe you know that over the last few weeks, like you've responded poorly. And, and you're in a moment right now where you're in panic or you're not sure what, what you're going to do next. And, and uh, Jay, actually, he chooses the right way to respond. Take a look at the rest of verse three. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from 
all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jay begged the Lord for guidance is what it says. He knew where to turn. He, he ordered a fast. He told everybody to fast. And then everybody assembled in Jerusalem. Now we can learn, I think, from Jay's response. He, he gets news of this crisis. He knows what's about to happen and it's not good. And his first initial response was to number one, to seek the Lord, seek the Lord. See, his initial response was correct. He, he was going after God's guidance. He turned to the only person that could help him in this moment. How often do you and I hit a crisis and our default is anything but God? I mean, we'll turn to everything else. We'll turn to our bank account, our knowledge, our past experience. We'll even turn to some other friends or maybe even enemies if we feel like we need to, but we do everything except seek God. In this moment, Jay's demonstrating not only to himself and his family, but to an entire nation, what our first response should be. We should turn to God. I've heard it said that effective leaders get the job done, but faithful leaders get the job done in God's way and in God's timing. Look at what Jay does does next. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. Jay brings all of the nation to Jerusalem. He gets them gathered together and he stands in front of the entire community. And so not only do you need to seek the Lord, but number two, I think we need to seek unity. We need to seek the help of the people around us. We, we need help. We can't do all of this on our own. We need to unite. You know what unite means? Unite means to come together for a common purpose or a common goal. What we need now more than ever in the midst of this crisis is for the church to be united. Jesus prayed about that. He prayed for it and he died for it. Uh, When he was in the garden praying before he went to the cross, he prayed that we would have the same unity with him and with each other as Jesus had with God, as he had with his heavenly father. See, we should never underestimate what Jesus can do with the church that is united and focused on him. For heaven's sakes, I mean, he changed the world with 12 men. What could he do with an entire church that was united and focused on him? We need, we need to seek unity. We need to seek unity in our families, in our communities, our churches, and even in our nation. We need that type of unity. Now, it's amazing to me what we can do together. Uh, if you want to change your family, if you want to change the, the community or the state, the world, um, you need to seek unity. See, a church united in the mission of Jesus Christ is a powerful tool in the hands of God. And so here's the first break I want to give you this morning. I want us to spend four minutes. I want to give you four minutes to answer these two questions. How how are you seeking God? Are you even seeking God in this moment? I hope you can say yes to that. But was that your initial response? Or what are you doing about it now? Now that it's been several weeks, now that we know it's not a blizzard, maybe it's more of a winter. How are you seeking God in the midst of this crisis? And then secondly, how are you seeking unity? Are you seeking the help of, of your church family or the people around you? Or maybe your family. Do you have them praying for you? How are you seeking God? And how are you seeking unity? Because these are critical first responses to crisis in our lives. And remember, we're setting habits right now that are going to outlast this crisis. We're setting a response, a habit for a response for every trial and every tribulation we'll ever face in the, for the rest of our lives. That's our goal here. So take four minutes and answer those two questions.
So the messengers bring King Jay this bad news. And what does he do? He gathers the people in Jerusalem. He brings the whole nation in. They begin to seek God's guidance and they stand in front of the temple and he begins to pray. The the prayer actually starts in verse six. It's recorded right here. This is what it says. He prayed, oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. So first of all, he seeks God. Secondly, he seeks unity, he brings the people together. And then thirdly, big one is he prays. He cries out to God. It's frustrating to me when we have people who have been walking with Christ for a very long time, they get to the end of the rope and they say something like, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. And I wanna say, no, that should have been one of the first things we were doing. See, prayer is not a last resort. It should be a response to crisis and it should be an early one. In this, this response that Jay has to this crisis that he's facing, he begins to pray. And I believe like a beautiful musical score, there's three movements to Jay's prayer. I wanna share them with you. We just read through the first one. And in this first section, he's actually declaring God's power. He declares God's power. He's, he's saying, God, you are all powerful. You, you are the ruler of heaven and earth. And he's declaring God's power. During a crisis, we need to be reminded of God's power. We need to be reminded of who's on the throne, who is in control when we're not, who hung the stars and named every one of them, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who tells the sun when to rise and when to set. We need to be reminded of God's power. In our prayer, we've got to declare his power. Notice that Jay, um, he mentions several things in this first part. He says that, that God is the ruler of heaven, that he, he is the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. He is powerful and mighty. And then he says, no one, not even the armies that are marching against us can stand against you. And then he begins to remind God of history. God, you're the one that brought us into this land. You gave this to us as an inheritance. It's your land. These people are marching against you. Now, we need to be reminded of God's power, especially when we're facing crisis. Why? Because if we don't remind ourselves of God's power, then we begin to view our situation, the circumstances around us through the lens of our own ability, through our own power, through our own resources. And that leads to nothing but hopelessness and desperation. King Jay proclaims God's power. And then in verse nine, they said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. So the first movement of his prayer was declaring God's power. Secondly, they commit themselves to God. When you and I pray, we should declare God's power and we should commit ourselves to God. I love the prayer. Whatever happens, God, it doesn't matter. Whatever calamity, we're with you. Like they're declaring allegiance. They're declaring their loyalty, their their commitment to God himself. Henry Varley was a, a British evangelist and he once said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. When we commit ourselves to God, amazing things happen. 
I love how Jay ends this section. He goes, um, I, I know I can come to you and I can cry out to you, God, because, because you save us. You hear us and you rescue us. Do you, do you hear him choosing faith over fear in that moment? See, he's declaring God's power and he's committing himself to God, regardless of what's gonna happen. Even, even if this doesn't go the way I think it's gonna go, God, I'm, I'm committing myself to you and your plan, whatever you desire. Then in verses 10 through 12, it ends like this. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So first of all, Jay declares God's power. Secondly, they commit themselves to God. And then thirdly, they admit that they're powerless. When we pray, we've got to make these steps. We've got to declare God's power. We need to commit ourselves to God. And then we we need to admit that we can't do anything on our own. Uh, Every time I hear Psalm 4610 repeated, you know, be still and know that I am God. I always tack in there for myself and I'm not because I need to be reminded that I'm powerless. Like I have no control. Even when I think I'm controlling the situation, I'm not. I love the way King Jay says the the last part of this prayer. He says, look, we don't know what to do. Like we don't even have a plan. We're, We're facing such odds. We don't even know what to do. But he says, we're coming to you for help. At least Jay knew where to go for help. So let me ask you, do you? Do you know where to go for help? Or do you think that you're still in control of the situation? Are you still trying to control every aspect of it? See, King David was in this situation many times where he had somebody seeking to take his life from him. And in one of the Psalms, he writes, I lift my eyes up to the hill. Where does my help come from? And then he answers it. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's declaring his power. He's committing himself and he's admitting I'm powerless. I can't do anything without God. And so I wanna give you four minutes and, and not to answer a question, but just to spend in prayer. And I want you to do this. I want you to pray for four minutes, declaring God's power, committing yourself to him and admitting that you're powerless. Like you can't control any of this. You can't, you can't do anything about the crisis that we're in, but, but you're going to declare his power. You're going to commit yourself to him and just admit, I can't do anything about it. Would you spend four minutes in prayer? Friends, I want you to know that the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. See, what we're doing in this moment is we are conditioning ourselves. We're, we're learning how to respond to a crisis because some of you know this already. This will not be the last crisis that you face in your life. See, this is creating habits. It's creating a, a default response. Every time we hit a trial, every time we hit a tribulation or a crisis in our lives, I want you to know that you're making habits right now that are gonna take you not only through this crisis, but through the rest of your life. How do we do that? First of all, we respond to a crisis by seeking the Lord. Then we seek unity and then we pray. 
And so I hope and pray that this is your response through the rest of this week. And we're going to stop with the story right there because I want you to tune back in next week because we're going to take a look at how God reacts to their response and what he does in this situation as well. But I want to encourage you every day this week, when you feel like you're struggling, I want you to seek the Lord. I want you to seek unity, look for the people around you. And then I want you to spend some time in prayer. Declare God's power. Commit yourself to him and admit that you're powerless and that you can't do anything outside of what God allows you to do. Guys, I I pray that this is encouraging to you. I hope it builds you up. Let me say a prayer for us as we wrap up the service today. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We just ask that in this moment that you would minister to those who are really hurting. Lord, we know that in this, this crisis, we've got some that are really struggling. I just pray that you would meet with them in such a tangible way that they, they feel your presence, Lord. God, I pray that as we learn and we condition ourselves to respond to crisis, that we are people that will respond in a godly way, that we reflect you in everything that we do and say, even when the heat is on. And Lord, I pray that all of this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and molds and shapes us into the people that you've called us to be. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, We'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.